0: Hello and welcome. This is Real Living, and this is Lavinia Spirito with Mary Lou Nemechek. And we are going to pick up on um, continuing the story that we were telling you in the first show. The first show is after a long, long time. We've been able to um, actually come back to podcasting as a team, and that's what we're going to do. So we're going to tell you a little bit about the upcoming trip that... Uh, Catholic Bible Study is sponsoring uh, in January of 2023, so coming up pretty soon, to Italy. And uh, we're really looking forward to it. It's going to be articulated along two different places, right? Right. Assisi and Rome. Assisi and Rome. That's going to be so cool. We're really looking forward to it. I think I explained in the last uh, show that the reason we're doing that is that so we only have two hotels and so that we can have a staging place in central Italy from which to go to the various places in central Italy. Last time we talked about Loreto, we talked about Assisi of course, and then we talked about Loreto. And uh, I think last time we finished telling you about the visit to Orvieto that we are going to go to from, Assisi. And I think that's going to be really, really. I'm really looking forward to it. I remember walking around Orvieto with my oldest daughter, and she bought some cute things. I think she bought like a handbag, and you mm-hmm. know, there were some really cute things. I had, I bought some olive oil uh, steeped in truffles, which I think I, 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 you know how you hold on to those things and you do a drop at a time because you don't want it right. to end. Right. And now I know I'm going to buy a little bit more of that. Right.
1: I, I bought a keychain, which I use today. So every day I look at that and think of Oviedo. Oh, really? What, what's yeah. on the keychain? Oh, it's, uh, gosh, just some various colors and leather and so forth Ooh. decorated. It's, it's really a, a nice little keychain. Well, you
0: know, a, a word to the wise, usually uh, Italian hill towns in
1: January are going to
0: have good deals <laughs> because not too many people are going to be going shopping there,
1: right? Well, years ago I bought a Christmas ornament there. The first mm-hmm. time I ever went there, that mm-hmm. I cherish, it was St. George and the dragon. Mhm. Mm-hmm. And it was in different pieces, you know, kind of like a puppet thing. Mm-hmm. And it's the most beautiful thing, and then when I the last time I was there I went looking for some, couldn't find them. So, um, you know, maybe this trip because they really have some very unusual beautiful things there.
0: Mhm. Yeah. Well, really, very much looking forward to it. So, I think that each day we're going to devote some time to go to um, to the various places. I, I this is out of order. The day before, instead of going to Orvieto after Loreto, we're going to go to Siena, and Siena mm-hmm. from uh, Assisi. So we're we're going to be basically traveling from the central Italian region of Umbria to the central Italian region of Tuscany. Umbria is landlocked, but Tuscany, as we know, has quite a bit of frontage on the Turanian Sea, right? Right. Beautiful resorts and all that stuff. And in Siena, we are going to, this is, I think, would be one of the highlights of the trip, at least for me. We're going to see, we're going to spend some time with um, St. Catherine of Siena. And we're going to visit her house.
1: I can't and
0: wait. That's that's just so amazing. I remember I told you the story. I was there with my daughters, and I wanted to see Catherine's house, and it's like a secret. You can't. There's no signs. You know. I kept walking around. Where's the house of Saint Catherine? Mm-hmm. Finally, I found this small little plaque saying Saint Catherine with a with an arrow down going down some small uh-huh. little. But I mean, it wasn't at all. No billboards. No. No, no large signs or anything like that. It's like you know, it's like a well kept secret. You have to know where it is. Well, so, I was
1: looking looking for her, her corpse. I don't know whether it's her head that's there. Or whatever mm-hmm. church I went to that was the wrong one. Went to another one, and it was six o'clock, and it was locked. Oh, so I never got to see anything.
0: Well, San Domenico is where the main, is the main church there, and we are going to celebrate mass there. So I think that's going to be fun. Yeah. So why spend time with Catherine Siena? Well, ah. mostly because I love her <laughs> to death. <laughs> and so do you, right? I do. Um, a doctor she, of the church. She's a doctor of the church. She was one of the original women doctor of the church. Um, she truly, I think, you know, her life may be off putting to some because, you know, she died at 33 and uh, was extremely rigorous aesthetically and um, what she did basically lived on the Eucharist for the past, you know, the last eight years of her Mm -hmm. life or something like that. Um, but, and also, you know, all those saints who are like caught young, you know, like she had a vision of Jesus at five or six. Yeah. Like Therese did. Um, and it's like, okay, I'm not 33 anymore. I haven't had any visions of Jesus. I, there's no way I'm going (laughs) to exist on the Eucharist alone for the next eight years. Um, But yet she has so much to say to us today. Her dialogue. uh, Now, remember, this is uh, Caterina Benincasa was the 24th of the 25 children of Lapo. No, of Lapa. Lapa, yeah. Lapa Benincasa. And um, yeah. So do you think her parents were a bit distracted at that point? You know, they were well-to-do, obviously. Mm -hmm. And she from a very early age, had these mystical revelations and she followed them. And uh, from spending uh, like three years in her bedroom, you know, Mm -hmm. not coming out, her mother's like, when are you going to come help wash the dishes? You know, that kind of thing. But her father had this revelation that in fact, she was in contact with the divine. She was in contact with Jesus Mm -hmm. and just left her alone. And finally, one day the Lord said, it's time to exit and you are prepared and you're going to go out into the world. So she went out and she started serving her family. And I love it because <clears throat> where we're going to be is the very house where all these things happened. So there's like a chapel. It, you you go down, it, you come up to the house from the street and then you go down some stairs. And so there's a beautiful cloister on the top floor. But then on the bottom floor, there is where she lived, where the house of the, of the Benin Casas was, which is so cool because mm-hmm. you can see her cell. You know, like, you know, remember when you go to Padre Pio's and you can right. see his bed and his right. nightstand and all that. Well, behind the gra- grate, so it's an iron sort of grate thing, you can see her little bed, her little nightstand, her little, you know, and it's all been preserved since the 1340s.
1: Unbelievable.
0: 1340s. Now remember, 1348... Is the outbreak the first great major outbreak of the plague mm-hmm. in central Italy, and so part of what she did was also take care of plague victims at a time when nobody knew how the thing was spread. There was no no redress, no recourse, no medicine, nothing. Right, right. Um, the main th- there and also the whole main floor is fresco. So there's pictures, events from her life her spiritual marriage, her floating up the steps to answer mom's call, you know, coming, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and, um, and also just the the physical parts of her life that remain. So that's just so cool, you know, and also just the whole message of her life. I hope to be able to excerpt some parts of the dialogue to read on the bus, maybe as we come in. I yeah, mean, that's it's a great not, idea. it's not for the fainted heart if you remember. She's
1: a strong woman. Yeah, it's for not for a, the days faith of heart. And times. Yeah. She,
0: although she had never been taught formally, she, um, she dictated to three or four secretaries at a time, frequently in ecstasy, frequently speaking to God the Father when she dictated her dialogues. And it's basically God the Father showing her heaven, hell, and purgatory, which is pretty cool, right? And um, and and the father just basically dialoguing with Catherine as to you know what's going what was going on in the church of her time remember that during right during her lifetime the popes were still in France they were in avignon mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right the the uh, the captivity in avignon uh, basically where the papacy became a captive to the king of france right considered perhaps one of his feuds or something mm-hmm. and so she is responsible for writing several letters to the popes saying, what are you doing in Avignon? The Pope of Rome needs to live in Rome. On the other hand, as a Roman myself, I can tell you that Rome, especially in um, in the high Middle Ages, so 900s, 1000s, 1100s, 1200s, was a mess. It was in the hands of the noble families, um, the buildings, the, the monuments were being uh, raided and dilapidated. Um, there was always some kind of warfare going on. And right. the Pope was always a hostage of somebody, a hostage right. of a family against that family. And then now you're my hostage against them, you know, that kind of thing. And right. so I could see after a while how he got old and the Pope, you know, when he got an invitation, especially a French Pope, when he gets an invitation from the King of France, hey, come on, come on and hang out. Got this beautiful palace how about it? You know, so we can't condemn them too strongly, but the court of the popes at Avignon ended up being a place of corruption, you know, a place of nepotism and favoritism. Unfortunately, that was also the court, of you know, that was also happening in Rome in as well, Rome. Right? <clears throat> But anyway, she got the pope, finally, the final pope to receive the letter, to come back, just based on her argumentation and how about it was time for him to come back, and so she supported him. Also, because she had the reputation of as a holy person, she was called to negotiate uh, peace settlements uh, between Italian towns that were constantly fighting. Primarily, Siena and Florence. Florence, yes. Sworn enemies, sworn Hated enemies. a generation or two before Dante Alighieri, who wrote the Divine Comedy, was mm-hmm. exiled from mm-hmm. Florence to Siena because of all this mess of all the towns, city towns, uh, fighting one another. So uh, that's the atmosphere that she lives in, an atmosphere of strife, an atmosphere of constant warfare, an atmosphere of unfaithful prelates living somewhere else, you know, absentee bishops, the whole ball of wax, right? But the way she deals with it in her dialogues and in the letters that she dictates to her spiritual children is just amazing, right? Her confessor, Blessed Raymond of Capua. Mm -hmm. uh, We know we have a lot of the details of her life from his description that he wrote. What, what is your experience?
1: uh, You know, I, I, she is, she is my favorite. She was my saint for confirmation. And, um, She really, you can describe her as on fire for the Lord because you can start reading something you know it's, it's from her. And it's just so intense, yet so peaceful and loving and convicting. And I had read something that when she went to Avignon, you know, for her credibility with the Pope, she, God gave her something that the Pope either said or did that no one else knew. And she asked him that, you know don't you remember this well the minute she said that to him she knew he knew that he was supposed to leave you know so everything she did was guided by the lord and he really gave her exceptional gifts she was um we can't go into this story but there were prisoners that were going to be executed horrible on this trailer and they're being spat upon and and they were cursing the other people and all that and she saw that that they were you know it was the um, Satan and going after them. I mean, she could see that. So from the time they were on that cart till they went to their execution site, she went to them and did like an exorcism is the best way to describe it. They converted, they were, they were absolutely joyous to, to die for the Lord because they were guilty of what they had done and they had been forgiven. I mean, it's the most remarkable story. And um well she brought her mother back to life, remember? Oh her really? mother tell the story. Tell the story. Well, I you know, her mother became very ill and she died and and Saint Catherine didn't think that she was, you know, ready for heaven, so she she pleaded with the Lord to let her bring her back, which she did. And she lived for a number of years later until it was really time for her to, to go. And one of the things Saint Catherine of Siena says is that the moment you die, your soul flies to the place it has chosen. Meaning we have complete control over where we're going to go from the standpoint of our choices. We're either going to choose to follow the Lord or we're going to choose not to follow the Lord. But, you know, God does not condemn us. We we make our choices and that's where we're going. And that's, to me, is just so convicting for us because... Um, since God is pure love and Jesus came and saved us, you know, take advantage of everything that Holy Mother of the Church offers us to be on the path for salvation, to be with him and make mm-hmm. those right choices. And she's a great one to read, to, to follow a path, to, to grow in love for the Lord. Mm-hmm. She's the one who said,
0: if you are who you are meant to be, you will set the world on fire. Okay. Yeah, isn't that great?
1: Yeah, so yeah, some homework,
0: preparation. If you're I going have to on the trip, get strip. out all
1: of our Saint Catherine of of uh, yeah. Siena books?
0: Pull out, pull out the dialogue, pull yeah. out the biographies, because we're gonna we're gonna hope to spend some time with Catherine, and having, of course, mass in the church in Siena, and then of course we'll walk around. Remember Siena? I mean, come on, the mm-hmm. the, the church in Siena, the cathedral is one of those uh, bicolor ones, you know, the striped ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just amazing, I think.
1: And it's, um, uh, it can be a very confusing city. It kind of reminds me of Venice where you go around these corners and you, you know, don't know it's where you are. Like you have are. to put down breadcrumbs in order to find your way back. And I remember one night I was there and my husband, he had to make a call back to the U.S. and he has no sense of direction. Mm-hmm. But when he was there walking all the streets, he knew exactly how to get back to the hotel. It was mm-hmm. the only time that's ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's Forget a miracle. That. It
0: was. <laughs> One one way to navigate the streets of Siena is to look up and see the little symbols that are attached to the lampposts, which represent the neighborhoods or contrade. Contrada is just a name for a neighborhood. Um, And it's important because you have various, all the various neighborhoods will compete twice a year in the famous horse race called the Palio, the Palio of Siena, which takes place in the central piazza, the round piazza. And it's basically a horse race where there are no rules. (laughs) Basically, (laughs) it doesn't matter. People hit each other. They drug their horses. They drug one another. And if you fall off your horse
1: and your horse still wins, you you win. It doesn't matter that there was no rider, you know, that kind of thing. Well, they marched the horses into church in their Mm -hmm. various neighborhoods to bless them before the race. (laughs) I I remember one year my husband had an intern,
0: a student from Siena. And... That year, apparently, her neighborhood won the Palio. Wow. Oh my gosh! I will never forget. It was like she'd won; they'd won the Super Bowl or something, you know, the, the the phone calls and the congratulations, and she treated everybody champagne and you know that kind of thing. It was it was it was pretty cute. It was pretty. It was pretty. It gave you an idea, you know. They have a, a specifically noxious, uh, which I just detest, but everybody loves. Um, it's like a f- heavy fruit cake. It's round, and it's called a panforte. Panforte it means strong bread, which I could see because you could hit somebody over the head when kill them with one of those things. <laughs> it's like those heavy duty fruit cakes, you know, right? Um, which is so famous. But I mean, you'll see. You know, when we're there, we'll see what the the, the rather the characteristic stuff will be. So that's good, right? So from Assisi, we're going to do in depth Assisi. We're going to do a retreat. We're going to go to Siena, we're going to go to Loreto, and we're going to go to Orvieto. All places with incredible history, uh, incredible uh, opportunities uh, for instruction, for growth and holiness, for edification, for consolation, for encouragement. So I think that's going to be cool. The next day, we're going to have to put a big girl and big boy pants on as we will be coming into Rome, Rome. which will be very interesting. Roma. Actually, we're going to Rome from Orvieto. The next day, we wake up at the hotel. We go to Saint Peter's, and we're going to do the usual tour of the Basilica. But we're going to do the most famous thing, which I think is so cool every time, right? Right. Which is the, Scot- the Scavi tour. tour, right? Now, mm-hmm. Scavi is Italian word for excavation, and we're going to go below the Basilica of Saint Peter in groups of 12, so we can't go all together, because at that point we go down to the first century level, and we are going to be able to uh, view the first century necropolis cemetery that was uncovered um, in the 30s and 40s uh, by archaeologists, and also as they were trying to dig for a um, subway below St. Peter's, and they found these remains of this first century necropolis, which is Pretty sensational. We're going to tell you more about the 1st Century Necropolis in our next show. Thanks for joining us.